You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Jonah 1:17 to 2:10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountain, I went down to the the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come before you this morning asking that you would work in us, that you would speak to us, that by your Spirit you would do your work in our lives according to our need, that you would confront and convict where that's needed, that you would encourage and console for those who are in need of that this morning, of your comfort. We ask that you would do all of this to glorify your Son in the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, the flow of our text this morning is one of judgment to restoration. It's one of death to new life. There's an experience of of a kind of death that Jonah undergoes, uh, only to be brought back to life. It's a story of the prophet of God being cast away from God in order to then be brought home. So we're going to follow this movement in the sermon this morning, where we find that Jonah is cast away in judgment, and then that we find that he's he's cast away in judgment in order to be restored and to be brought back, to be brought back home. You can look with me at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Pain. Pain has a way of getting our attention. 
I tell my kids, once I put them down to bed, not to come out of bed again. And somehow, they make their way out of bed again. They find a reason. It's they're thirsty. They need to use the bathroom. They really needed to tell me something or show me something. And after three or four times coming out of bed, oh boy, my, my, my blood starts to boil sometimes. Um, and they do this. They carry on until there's a consequence, or at least a consequence threatened. Right? Um, if I see you come out of your bed one more time, you fill in the blank. Because for children, no, no isn't always enough. They keep pressing. They can keep persisting. Maybe this is just my kids. Anybody else? No, they keep persisting, at least until the consequences come crashing down. And so it is with us. So it is with us. It often takes pain being stopped in our tracks in order to make change happen, deep transformation, the kind of change that we need as sinners under the Lord. It's the student who acts out time and time again, only to find out eventually that they're going to be suspended or expelled. You know, the consequences are coming. It's the employee who tries to cut corners time and again, only to find out that finally they're told their job is now on the line. It's the husband or the wife who's been complained to over the course of their marriage and then finds that all of a sudden it's over and it's done. It's the consequences that come down. It's, it's when we have our secret desires and our secret actions, things that nobody knows about, and all of a sudden they're exposed and there's some kind of consequences that are coming down on us as a result of this behavior. Then finally, finally, it's, and often only then, that we're willing to pay deep attention to some changes that have needed to be made. And it's all of God's children, you and me, who in our own rebellions of many shapes and sizes find ourselves in need of what some might call fatherly discipline, the fatherly discipline of the Lord, in need of someone to stop us in our tracks, to shake us up, to make some kind of changes, to to stop us from our own chaos, to stop us from our own patterns of self-destruction, our journeying away from the Lord. Uh, To put my opening statement into a more biblical perspective, it's not just that pain has a way of getting our attention, but it's that God, God, we find here in this story, has a way of getting our attention through pain and through the sufferings of life. And it's not the way that any of us would have it, is it? You know, this is not the way that any of us would choose that the Lord would work, but, but we find that this is a consistent story throughout the scriptures. It's the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, given everything that they could ever need, right? blessed by God, turning from God, and cast out of the judgment, or cast out of the garden in judgment. Right? It's the story of, uh, of people all over the world coming together at Babel and coming to devise plans to set themselves up in opposition from the God whom they ought to serve, And what does God do? He confuses and scatters them over the face of the earth. It's the story of Jacob in his own mischief, who eventually comes face to face with the Lord or an angel of the Lord and comes to wrestle with this Lord and is left with a limp, a kind of judgment there too. It's the story of Israel in all of their patterns of faithfulness and rebellion, where at different times of great rebellion, as in the book of Hosea, God cuts off his people from him 
But we find in all of these cases, all of these different iterations of judgment that the Lord brings down on his own people, it's all for the purpose of restoration. It's all ultimately for our good. And what we find here in the story of Jonah is that the Lord uses, even sends, suffering in order to incite a return from Jonah. Jonah in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. That after all of his running, after all of his rebellion, choosing his way over God's way, here Jonah begins his return in this passage in chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. It's, an, it's quite a claim. God, you did this. You did this. And if you remember in the first chapter, do you remember who, who it was who cast Jonah into the heart of the sea? I mean, it doesn't say it was God. It says it was the mariners. And yet here we find in Jonah a different perspective. For you, God, you cast me into the deep. Your waves, your billows passed over me. We might ask, how is it that the actions of people in the first chapter, throwing Jonah into the deep, can here be described as the actions of God, casting him into the deep? How can this be so? And maybe a more pressing question is, and could this ever be pertinent to you? Could this ever be said of you? in your own journey downward into the flood, in your own experience of suffering under the mighty hand of God, under the billowing winds and waves of God's own judgment. It is a, a startling feature of the Bible and of the ancient people of Israel that with all of their suffering, it wasn't simply blamed on, on the devil, though obviously that's there too, or on human willfulness, that with all of the suffering of Israel, these things are always brought, um, it's always brought face to face with the Lord as having something to do with our suffering here in this world under the judgment of God. Right? That our suffering brings us in relation to our God. That God, in this Jewish biblical perspective, has something to do with our suffering. For you cast me into the deep. It's the book of Psalms. How would we make sense of the book of Psalms apart from this? Right, with every sufferer bringing their pain and their suffering. Why, Lord? How long, O oh Lord? Right, it's coming to the Lord with our suffering and recognizing that God has something to do with this. And he's powerful enough to, to, to prevent it from happening in the first place and to take it away. We know this of our Lord. He's powerful enough. And yet he allows it somehow. This brings us into relation to God, our suffering and our pain. And here Jonah too in the midst of his own rebellion against the Lord, has discerned that this storm that he's facing and this act of being swallowed up by the fish three days and three nights was nothing other than an act of God. And I wonder, I mean, it makes me wonder, in our own trials, in our own sufferings, well, have you ever discerned the hand of God at work in your own trials and sufferings? Have you discerned God's hand at work through these things, through this pain? Have you ever prayed with Jonah? You cast me into the deep. You did this. Your waves, your billows pass over me. Now, to be clear, I, 
I'm not intending to suggest here that every storm that we face is sent by God as an act of personal judgment over us. I think uh, the book of Job makes it clear that that's not a good way to view. God chastises people who have that view, (laughs) who try to determine that because Job is suffering, this must be an act of personal judgment of God over over Job. That's not the case. That would be an irresponsible way of understanding what suffering is and how God uses suffering and works through suffering in our world. And yet, there is a sense in which the storms that we face are given, enabled, permitted, used, in a sense, sent, even by the Lord. And this can be for several reasons. Uh, I was reading this week um, a book from the Westminster Assembly in the 1600s. Uh, the Westminster Divines, a group of about 120 or so uh, ministers um, from around the kingdom, the three kingdoms at that time, came together and figured out... Um, well, a number of pastoral issues, and one of them was on visitation to the sick. And here, here's how they explain the different reasons right, for God's visitation, um, for our experience of, of um, suffering. They say, this could be for several reasons. Displeasure for sin, for God's correction and amendment, or for trial and exercise of his graces, or for other special and excellent ends. And regardless, they write, all his suffering." Shall, to the sufferer's profit, shall turn to the sufferer's profit and work together for his good. Do you believe that? This is God's promise. See, God's people have always known that our suffering brings us into relation with him, into relation with God, so that it is absolutely appropriate in the face of suffering to go to the Lord and say what the psalmists say, Why, Lord? How long, O Lord? Or as Moses prays, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. Or as Jonah prays here, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And Jonah continues, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And the irony here is that Jonah, in running away from the Lord, he ends up finding himself in the farthest reaches of the cosmos. Sheol, the depths of the earth. He ran. And the Lord brought him to the very end of himself. Have you been there? Have you been there? Have you ever been brought to the end of yourself? And if you have, one thing that we can find from Jonah's story is that we shouldn't be surprised if the Lord has some mysterious plan in doing so. A a plan to work with us in the midst of our sufferings. And you ask, how can that be? How can the Lord... A God who is love, the God of love. Take from us, bring us to the end of ourselves, cast us away, as with Jonah, and still be a good God. And in part, the answer to that question is bound up with another question. What is God for? What are his purposes in the world? And what are we here for? What are his great purposes? What's he committed to doing in the world for you and for me? For this whole beautiful and broken world that we're a part of. Because if if God's great purpose is 
our happiness, especially in some kind of a, 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 super, a superficial sense of happiness, if that's God's great ambition for your life, to keep us happy, to keep us content and comfortable, to allow us to dream our dreams and then to accomplish our dreams, to get the things that we're after and the things that we want, to make our plans and accomplish our plans, well, if that's the case, God fails. God fails. If that's the case, I think there's a sense in which we can determine that God is cruel in not allowing us to get the things that we want and keeping us happy. But if, as I believe, the whole testimony of the scriptures of Israel lead us to believe God's primary concern is actually to glorify himself by glorifying a people, that God's great commitment is to forming and forging a people in this earth for himself, making us his own, if this is God's great commitment is to, is to forge for himself, even through suffering and trials and doubts of all kinds, but to forge for himself a people who will live with him forever and who will forever choose him and love him and live with him for all eternity. If this is what God is up to in the world, well, then our ways are not his ways and our plans are not his plans. And in God's great purpose is to mold you and to mold me into the kinds of people who trust him and love him and follow him. And we'll be forever committed to him. It seems that suffering, suffering has been ordained as a crucial part of God's plan in how he works out his purposes in the world. I mean, certainly this is true when we look at the center of his plan, the cross of Jesus Christ, suffering at the center of human history, at the center of how God is transforming the world. Suffering at the heart of how God is judging, confronting, reshaping, transforming a lost and broken world to his own purposes. And isn't this what we see with Jonah? That suffering judgment is ultimately about Jonah's restoration. He's cast away, yeah. But he's cast away to be brought home. You can look with me at verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet... And here's something of a turning point in his prayer. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. What happened to Jonah? After the storm, sitting alone these three days and three nights in the belly of Sheol, he was changed. He was changed in this time of judgment. He was changed. Not perfectly, as we'll find out in the coming chapters, but significantly. But instead of running, he was now returning to the Lord. And that we would be a people who in our suffering, rather than running from the Lord, take our suffering as an opportunity to turn to the Lord. That we would follow Jonah's rhythm in this sense. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regards to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And then down in verse 9, Jonah proclaims, Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So finally, Jonah is seeing more clearly. Remembering the Lord, recognizing that to run from the Lord, to serve any God but the true God, is to forsake the hope of steadfast love. And we might consider here, to whom are you running? What gods are you serving? In what direction are you living? 
We certainly can be a people who consume ourselves with all kinds of gods, false gods, idols of many kinds, career, our looks, Instagram, public personas, personal pleasures. But those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. All those things that we've been after this week, all the things that are pulling out our hearts and our attention, all of these things in following after them rather than God, in committing to them rather than the God who made us and calls us, we find that we forsake the hope of steadfast love, that steadfast love is with the Lord, that God has made us for himself and that steadfast love is found with him, in him, through him, and it's nowhere else. So we find Jonah ran from the Lord. The Lord cast him into the deep. And there, at the end of himself, stripped of all he had, there Jonah returns to the Lord. And maybe, maybe you too have been running. Maybe you've been running. Maybe in not so explicit a way as Jonah. Maybe in a smaller way. You've been resisting what God has called you to do, to be in your life. Maybe you feel that in your running, you too have been cast into the deep. And if that's you, in these moments of being brought to the end of yourself, faced with the greatest of losses, turn to the Lord. It's an invitation this morning to you, a gracious and kind invitation from God to you to turn to him. That salvation belongs to him. Steadfast love is with him. And of course, we know this. We know this. Because we've come to know one greater than Jonah. Greater than Jonah. As Jesus says, behold, something greater than Jonah is here. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man, Jesus says, concerning himself, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah, you, me, we may run from the Lord. We will at times. Jonah. You and me, we may find ourselves cast away under the judgment of God in our running. But through Jesus, the true, the greater Jonah, you, me, we can know that all such judgment, any sense of being cast away, is only and always for our good and will be used to restore us in love to our Creator. And we know this. Because Jesus was ultimately the true and greater Jonah. Jesus was the one who got into that boat and was overtaken by a storm. He was the one who was fast asleep in the boat, woken up by frantic men, asked to do something about this. And he was the one who would ultimately be cast into the belly of the earth, Sheol, for three days and three nights. And then on the third day, Jesus would be, you might say, vomited up onto dry land for the forgiveness of sins for repentance to be proclaimed in all the earth. That this great storm of God's wrath was taken on by him. The greatest storm of God's wrath taken on by Jesus, that we might say, truly, salvation belongs to the Lord. It belongs to him, and steadfast love is with the Lord. And so for all, for all here who are prone to wander, prone to wonder where God is in our suffering, we look to Jesus at the cross, the one who's taken the suffering of the world onto himself, on his shoulders, has been crucified, has been raised to life again, 
for the forgiveness of sins, to proclaim rep- forgiveness and repentance in all, the, in all the earth, that we might return to the Father. Even for those who feel cast away under the judgment of God, know that God is for you. He's committed to you. He's committed to restoring you in love to him. We have this hope through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would make us a people who, through the trials and sufferings of life, would suffer well under your hand in faithfulness, believing your promises, believing your commitment to us. Father, I pray for those who are in uh, good seasons of life, who are quite happy with with the many blessings that you're sending their way. Father, they they would continue to look to you and to trust you through good times. And, And for those who are suffering under your hand in these days, Father, we ask that you would send your spirit, your comforter, that you would enable us, your people, to suffer faithfully and to know your promise to take up all of our sufferings and to use them for our good. Father, would you do this work, this powerful work by your spirit that we need you to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristchurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristchurchToronto.ca.